Amen. All right, we haven't done this for a while, but somebody say, uh oh. We're going to do a little quiz. What is, so if, you, if you're a visitor or if you've never been here during our Sunday morning quiz, you don't have to answer, okay? If you're a member here at Elm Creek, you better know this answer. What is our purpose as a church? Why do we exist? To glorify God and to make Him known. To glorify Christ, to make Him known. To glorify God and to make Him known to those people around us. And we do that through four different values. Yep, I just saw our, our head elder just looked at the wall to make sure that he knew exactly which ones. What are the four what are the four values? Worship, evangelizing, love, and discipleship. Or if you're not standing in front of the wall, think of the word weld. Worship, evangelism, love, and discipleship. And we want not just any kind of worship, not just any kind of love, or not just any kind of evangelism or discipleship. We want Christ-centered, gospel-centered worship evangelism, love, and discipleship, which means we do what we do here at Elm Creek to glorify God, not ourselves. We do it so that people would know Christ, not Elm Creek. We do it so that people can love God and love one another the way Christ loved us and the way that he commands us to love one another. So you, you kind of get this. Our, our purpose is to to know Christ. What does he say? What does he teach us? And then to make that known to the people around us, whether that's to fellow believers or to unbelievers, when we go leave this place and we live our normal life outside of these four walls. And we want to do these things to his glory, for his glory, and in a way that he commands us. And so being that this is the start of a new book, we just got done uh, working through um, Titus, right? Jude, sorry, I've got a lot of things on my mind, obviously. It's still a good book, guys. Jude, say that was just last week, right? And you're all going, yeah, whatever. We're starting 1 Corinthians. Now, usually we go from New Testament back to Old Testament, uh, but because Jude was so short and it was more of a summer series, we spent a long time in First and Second Samuel, so now we're jumping into First Corinthians. You're like, oh, good, New Testament. Yeah, read First Corinthians. Read First Corinthians. Now, the reason why we, we just pick a book rather than doing whatever Mark decides to talk about is because there's things in First in Corinthians that, I will be honest with you, I would avoid. I would not preach on those things. Why? Because, one, they're either hard or they're unpopular, and so this forces us, we go word by word, verse by verse, book by book through God's word so that we can understand the full counsel of God. We don't lay this aside when we disagree with it. Because if we disagree with God's word, the problem is not with the word, but if you've been here long enough, you've heard this before, the problem is with me, with us. It's either we misunderstand or we just don't like it. So the question is, is can we submit ourselves underneath the Word of God? So as we go through this book and we start dealing with some uncomfortable topics or topics that maybe hmm, I disagree with, 
can we submit ourselves under the word of God and allow God's word to speak to us and to challenge us and to encourage us, maybe even to convict us as God's people. Now, if you're an unbeliever and you're hearing these words as we work through this book and you're, you're like, well, I, okay, I, I, don't, I don't trust in God, I don't believe in God, or I don't trust in Christ for my salvation and um, I, I don't understand or I don't know what the gospel message is and I don't know the word of God, I haven't followed it, I, but, but I want to know more. My, 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 my hope and my prayer for you is that you would sit underneath the word of God, that you'd hear these, and as you struggle with it, as you wrestle with it, do not hesitate to ask questions. Don't hesitate to give me a call. All of my information is on the back of the, of the um, bulletin. You can stop me afterwards, and you will have to come and find me because I, I'm pulled in like 10 different directions afterwards. Or if you say, hey, email me, Obviously, I don't even remember what book we went through last week, so you're going to have to send me an email or shoot me a text and, and, or give me a call and let's set up a time to have a conversation because I do not want you to leave here without hearing and knowing and understanding the gospel of God because that is why we are here as God's people to sit underneath the gospel and be encouraged by it and for unbelievers to hear the gospel for the first time and believe and be saved. That's why we exist. So that's why we go through the book of the Bible, one at a time, okay? So what we're going to do today is I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians, a little bit of history, a little bit of background, and then we're going to dive into these three verses. And as always, you're like, three verses? This will be short. And everybody laughs because there's a lot that's there. There's a lot that's there. And it's real, I feel like as God's people, this is an encouraging passage for us. So anyway, around 50 AD, so 50 years, uh, well, really about 20 years, 20 years or so, 20, 18 years after the death of Christ, during Paul's first missionary journey, a small church was planted in the city of Corinth. Corinth is in what is now modern-day Turkey. Now, Corinth was one of the largest cities in the Roman world. It had almost uh, over 200,000 inhabitants, which for us were like, that's nothing. Well, for that time, that was huge. It's a huge city, but it was also one of the most spiritually corrupt. Its strategic location geographically brought people from all over the empire for trade and business. And so with so many people from so many different regions and so many different religions— Pagan temples were everywhere. So you know, if you want to put it in modern day terms, there was a church on every corner. After starting this church, after planting the church, Paul stays in Corinth for more than 18 months, teaching and equipping these new Christians for faithfulness to God. And when Paul eventually left the church in order to continue his mission work, he had every reason to expect the church to continue to grow in spiritual maturity. He had set them on the right path. All they needed to do was keep going down that path. But about four or five years later, Paul began to, he to hear rumors of division, of sexual immorality within the church itself, lawsuits between believers, and even criticism of Paul himself. And so Paul's, that is Paul's teachings. Now Paul's letter that he writes, 1 Corinthians, is a response to these issues 
but then also to respond to questions that the church had asked him in a previous letter that they sent to him. So as we work through 1 Corinthians, a lot of these topics are going to be, uh, different topics are going to be addressed. Divorce and marriage, uh, things, like, things like that. Some harder to hear than others. Some that address the church as a whole and others as individual believers. Unlike Jude, this book is written about Christians. Remember, Jude was about, it was two Christians about false teachers. This is just, you could just, you could, if you read through this, you could hear Paul going, oh, you should know better, Christian. You should know better, believer. He's not doubting their faith. He's saying you should know better. But all that is in here, all of this is the Word of God, and it's worthy to be studied, and it's worthy to be heard. And so when, not if, when we come across something difficult, whether it's because it's too hard to understand or it's something that we disagree with, don't run away from the difficulty. Like, like too many people, they get to a hard passage and they go, ah, that's hard. I'm just going to move on to the next verse because it's a lot easier to understand. It is there for a reason. The question is, is why? And as Christians, how we grow is to sit underneath that uncomfortable, I don't know, and seek God's wisdom to find out why it's there. Why does he say what he says? God has put these things here for a reason. More specifically, to teach, equip, and to train us in righteousness. Paul says this to, to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so don't avoid the difficulties of this book. It has been given to us by God so that we might know him and make him known to those around us. Now Paul's short introduction is more than just a greeting. This is a letter, and this is like our dear Mark, but obviously a little bit more in depth, right? He's given the church a heads up as to what the main focus of his letter is. He's, he's, the church belongs to, it's specifically the church belongs to and is sanctified by God. And so God is the foundation for what the church is to believe and how to act. And what we're going to see as we work through First uh, Corinthians is they've forgotten that. They're caught up in the eloquence of teachers and their speech and how wonderful they speak. And there's divisions that are created. Well, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos. There's also uh, sexual morality that has seeped its way in to the church because they're in a culture where sex is everywhere and immorality is everywhere. So it is very applicable to us today. And Paul is saying, no, do not allow that to happen. The culture around you, your own desires are not the foundation of your faith. God is. So, he says in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now that sounds really simple, right? But the church, what he's saying here is, the church is not its own. 
We belong to God because we were bought by God. He says, to the church of God, not the church of Paul, not the church of Apollos, to the church of God. And he writes later on in chapter 6 of this book, he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So what was the cost for our purchase? In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, he writes this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sinful rebellion against God separated us from him. And there was nothing that we could do to reconcile our relationship with him. No work of obedience was enough to stay God's wrath against us. But, greatest word in the Bible, God reveals his love for us in that while we were still rebellious against him, while we were still his enemy, he sent his only begotten son to die in our place. Christ willingly took up upon himself the right and just punishment of death that we deserved for our sins. He paid the price. He redeemed us. He bought us back. Why? For God. Not to make us happy. Not to give us a life of no problems. He redeemed us for the sake of God. And so we are not our own. We were bought with a price, meaning that we are now slaves to the one who purchased us. Now, I know that word slave can cause some bristling, especially in our culture today, right? But Scripture tells us that we are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. We're either slaves to the desires of our sinful nature or we're slaves to the desires of God. And before we're saved by Christ, we are chained to our sinful desires and passion. We have no hope of breaking free of our sinful nature. We do what it says, even if we have a great mind, like I want to do good things for God. In the end, we don't. We do good things for us. We're bound by sin. But then Christ broke those chains of sin when he died upon the cross. He freed us from the power of sin and made us slaves to God, chaining us eternally to the only holy God who is always righteous and always good. So we we think slavery is a bad thing, but when you're a slave to the most righteous, just, good, perfect, loving, caring, and joy-filled God, it's not a bad thing. (laughs) He is not a bad master. He is a good master. Because he paid for us, we belong to him. And so Paul is reminding the church, you are no longer your own You cannot go off and do your own thing. You cannot live the life that your sinful desires show or or what they they desire, what they want. 
and where they're leading you. You, you, you can't allow the, the cultural or culture around you, the society of where you're at in Corinth to seep into the church. They do not. That culture, those people do not determine what you believe and what you do. God does. Because God's the one who paid for you. Corinth did nothing for you. It does nothing but lead you to destruction. But God leads you to life through his son, Jesus Christ. So remember, you are no longer your own, and it is the best position to be in as as a human being, to belong to the creator of the universe. We are his. But this doesn't happen by our power, but by God's. In Paul's first words, he tells them that he was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the word calling needs needs a little bit of clarification okay so this past week i called my mom she lives in illinois i called her on the phone i dialed her number she chose whether to answer or not and then we had a conversation okay that's not what paul means god didn't call paul hoping that he'd pick up the phone he didn't ask paul to be an apostle he didn't hope that, God, uh, that Paul would say yes to being an apostle because that's not how God works. To be called by God means God named him and declared him an apostle. Why? Because it was God's will to send Paul to the Gentiles. That's what apostle means, one who is sent Paul was sent by God. He was declared an apostle to the Gentiles to preach the gospel message of salvation through Christ alone. And so it is with the church in Corinth. They are called by the will of God to be saints. Now, if if you caught, did you catch it? That's actually not in there. Did you know that? Did you see that? It doesn't say by the will of God for the church. So where do I get that from? Well, who is doing the calling in these verses? Because calling is in there three times. Two of them are by God himself. And if God has called Paul according to his will, then he has also called the church to be saints according to his will. Meaning that God did not ask the church to be saints. He named them saints. He declared them saints because it was his will to do so. So what, is this, what does it mean to be a saint? A saint is a holy one or one that is set apart. So God has declared his church to be set apart from the unbelieving world around them in order to do the will of God. And how was this done? Through, this, through the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ. To be sanctified is to be made holy. And so they are called to holiness because they have been made holy in Christ Jesus. Now, that's really confusing, right? They are called to be holy because they have been made holy. See, Christ's work has not only freed the church of God from slavery to sin, but it has also made them holy. It has made the church ritually clean before God. It has made the church righteous in the sight of God. The blood of Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. So we talk about sanctification, usually here, we talk about sanctification being a lifelong process, and it, and it is. 
Each and every day, we who are the church are to strive to be more and more holy, to live lives that reflect the desires and the passions of God. But Paul is using the word sanctification here a little bit different. Sanctification here is a completed action with enduring and long-lasting results. I get that from the tense. And if you want to have a little conversation about Greek tense, we could talk that way, but it's not worth it. Just, just know the tense of this, past, present, future, is usually ours. There's like eight different tenses in, in, the, in the Greek language. Here, what he's saying is sanctification is a completed action. It is done, but it has enduring, long-lasting results, meaning that the church in Corinth was made holy in Christ, done, over with. The price of death for their sins has been paid, but that holiness will continue to show results throughout their lives. In other words, there's no one-and-done holiness. I've got my fire insurance to get me out of hell, and now I, I can do whatever I want. That's not what Paul is saying. Our being made holy by God affects every aspect of our lives, every day of our lives, until Christ should come or he takes us home. There are three things as a church that, that apply to us today, if you want to say. Implications. First, the church belongs to God alone. He is our Lord and Savior who has declared us as set apart to do His will and to proclaim the truths to a lost and condemned world. John 3, 16 through 18. We do not have the option of holding our own preferences above God's. We do not have the option to proclaim our own truths above the truths of God because we are not our own. We were bought at a price. To put our own preferences, to put our own desires above God's reveals that we are either young and immature in our faith or just we just don't understand exactly how that works out in our lives or we are an unbeliever. If you're the first, that means then, man, as a church, we need to get into the Word of God. We need to study it for ourselves. We need to gather together as the saints, as the people of God, to sharpen one another. You do that on a Sunday morning. You've got Elm Creekers afterwards that are doing that. You have a small group that's meeting. You've got Bible study on Monday nights. We've got men's ministry, women's ministry. Why do we... All of those things revolve around the Word of God. Why? Because it is what God teaches us about Himself. And so if we're struggling, if we're immature in our faith, the worst thing that we can do, or even if we're mature believers and we don't quite understand that, the worst thing we can do is to step back and go, ah, I don't need to know. I don't need to know what God says about this. It would be similar to me saying, I don't understand my wife. Eh, I don't need to worry about it. I'm not even going to try. And everybody would go, what a horrible husband. Yet when it comes to our faith in Christ, it seems like we too easily go, yeah, if you don't understand it, that's okay, just move on. 
And God is saying, this is me. I'm telling you who I am. Come and know me more. Dig deep. You mean, you'll never understand God fully, and that's beauty, the, the beauty of things, because he is always going to reveal himself more and more deeply. Even when we're in heaven for all eternity, God is so infinite, we'll never know everything about God, and so we will always be learning more about him. There is no end to him. But if you're an unbeliever, to reject the word of God, to hear that and go, I don't need to know it, has eternal consequences. Specifically, eternity in hell, away from the grace and mercy of God. We are not our own. As the church, we belong to God alone. Second, God's sanctification of his church is done, but it has enduring and long-lasting results. God has made us holy. He has declared us holy, done, and finished. And you sit in that as a believer and you go, thank you, God, that I am holy because you have called me holy and you have made me holy. But... God's work has lasting effects for the rest of our lives. What we say, what we do, what we think, wherever we may be, no matter how old we are, his sanctification is done and complete, but it's never done working. Now, this is a huge oversimplification, but it's kind of like working out. Your workout may be finished. Okay, so, just say, See, I, I went for a run a couple weeks ago and I came home and my, <laughs> my daughter goes, did you enjoy it? And I looked at her like she was nuts. Like, are you kidding me? Look at me. Do I look like I enjoy running? I don't. I was so happy when it was done though. Why? Well, because I don't have to run anymore, but also because you feel the lasting effects. You may be finished with the run, but the benefits of that run continue to work. I feel better. I'm less tired. I lose weight, supposedly. I sleep better at night. Like, there's so many benefits to being healthy. Is is that not right? Physically, there are benefits to that. Well, so it is with God's sanctification. It's done, but its effects never really wear off, unlike a workout. His effects of making us holy is constantly working in us and moving us to become more like him in mind and thought and life and desires. And so we are not our own. We are bought at a price. God's sanctification of his church, of us as his church, it's never done, it's never completed, which both of those are a huge weight lifted off of us as God's people. My salvation is not determined by me. Thank goodness. Oh, God is going to continue to work in me. Even when I fail, he's going to pick me up. He's going to teach me. He's going to show me. Man, God's continuing to work. He doesn't give up on me. Praise his name. Well, finally, Corinth, the church, is not alone in God's declaration of holiness. They were declared in verse 2, They were declared saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
there were other churches in other towns and countries that believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that Paul had planted, that were growing and struggling, just like Corinth. And yet they are all the same church, big C church. And so it is today. The church's unity, because Paul's going to talk about all these divisions that happen in the church, the church's unity is not found in our culture or our music or our style of preaching or the style of teaching. It's found in Jesus Christ. Now this next week, I'm actually going to be gone. Uh, My family's going to be here, but I'm heading down to Apple Valley. We have a sister church down in Apple Valley, Revival Baptist Church. They're a uh, Russian-speaking church. I don't speak Russian. (laughs) I am not Russian, nor do I have any Russian culture anywhere in my background. I have no idea what I'm getting into. But the pastor said, would you come and speak? And it's an opportunity. I see it as an opportunity for me as a pastor, but also as a representative of Elm Creek, to go to our sister church who could, who could probably be no different, are, are so different from us. There's no similarities in the way that we worship, but there is one similarity, and what is that similarity? Christ. They love Christ. They love his gospel. So what am I going to do when I get there? Am I going to talk about how we as a church are so successful and this is what they need to do? No, my hope and my prayer, and you could pray for me in that, is that I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach the gospel. And you know what they're going to say? Amen. Because the gospel applies to the Russian culture. It applies to the culture in Apple Valley. It applies to to whatever culture you come from. And it applies to the culture of Maple Grove or whatever city you're from, whatever family you're a part of, no matter what culture or style of music or language. I was told I have to preach for an hour. And their service is two hours long, which means we're going to be singing for an hour. That's very different from what we do here. But is it centered around the gospel? Then I'm there. I'm there. Maybe I should clarify that. I'll preach for a half an hour and the interpreter is going to speak for another half an hour, so it's an hour total. So, but you can still pray for them. <laughs> those who have been called upon the name of the Lord, those who have declared Jesus as their master and Lord, not simply in word, but also in heart and mind, are unified in him. So did you catch that? Paul is called by God to be an apostle. The church is called by God to be holy, to be his saints. And who are those saints? Those who have called upon the Lord. Those who have declared, not just in word, but in life and in deed, struggling and striving to live for Christ. Paul's going to say, here's your issues, church. But you're not lost. You're still a saint. You're still holy and you are still saved. But don't stop growing. Work for obedience. Work to become more and more and more holy to God. 
the confidence that we have as his people. We're not alone in the. Do, do you feel that way sometimes? Like, am I the only believer in my school? Am I the only one who loves God at my work? Are we the only church in the United States that is faithful to God? It feels that way, doesn't it? But we're not. And praise God for that. There are faithful people to God, faithful churches to God in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, in the United States, and throughout the world. We are not alone in this. The church belongs to and is made holy by God, and this is accomplished and completed when Christ died upon the cross for our sins. But the effects of the cross on our lives as his church, it never ends. We're always growing. We're always learning. We're always striving to kill our own sinful desires and live and proclaim his desires. And so as we come to the table this morning, as we come to communion, remember, Christ says, remember. Remember what I've done. What did he do? Remember what he did on the cross for us as a church, as his church. Remember who we belong to. Remember that God declares us holy and righteous in his presence. Done. Remember he's never going to remove us from his presence. But also remember that we are sanctified slaves. And there's no better place to be. And when we come to the table and we take the cup and we take the bread and we're sitting there and we're we're thinking about and remembering what Christ did, it drives us or should drive us as God's people to glorify him and say, Thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you. But help me, God, to proclaim this truth, to proclaim what you did in my life and to me, what you declared over me. Let me tell others about that, to live a life that is glorifying to you. To you. Remind me, God, that you never stop working on me, that you never give up on conforming my desires to yours. And so I praise you. So, here in a minute, when you're ready, grab a cup, grab the bread, and you come and you sit. And then as a church family, we will take communion together. But while we're waiting for everyone to get back to their seats, glorify God, praise Him, and ask Him to open your eyes to all of the work that he does in your life as his people. Now, so if you're a believer, you're welcome to join us. If you're an unbeliever, if, you, if, you, if this is the first time you heard the gospel and you don't believe in that gospel, that salvation is found only through Christ, we ask that you refrain. You just stay in your seat. We won't look down upon you. Okay, It's not like a little flag that we have somebody in the back watching so that we can corner you. But we do ask that that if that is you, do not leave this place without having a conversation with me or with someone else. Because we want you to know the truth of God's gospel through his Christ. So when you're ready, grab the elements, you come and you sit down, and then we'll worship the Lord together and glorify his name together as his people. So come when you are ready.